Everybody, today we're going to be talking about burnout in private practice and your business processes and things you can do to change and shift so that you can reconnect with your work. If you've been following us, we've been talking about burnout in private practice for a few weeks now. We've talked about how it impacts clinical work, but also just how we're all going through it. And it's not new. Hello. We've had it before the pandemic. And today, I'm excited to delve into the business stuff because oftentimes people think that business is its own thing. It has nothing to do with, you know, it's its own kind of class. <laughs> like they keep it in its own compartment when we're learning about business, but it definitely influences your burnout in the systems you're creating. It's even something when we look at CEs, usually right? it's here's your continuing education unit about all things clinical. And then if it's anything related to the actual business of your private practice, it's it's considered separate and not something that's clinical. And yet we have found again and again that the decisions you make in your business will either improve your clinical outcomes and your clinical connection, or they will pull them down um, and leave you feeling more disconnected. And it's not good for clients. So one of our passions is to integrate these two and to say like, no, 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 no. Therapists need to know how to take the information they learn in their, in their clinical work, in their theoretical work, and then how to take that into their business and how that informs every decision that you make from before the first phone call mm -hmm. to after your final session with a client. Definitely. And how does this impact burnout? Because if you are not doing work that is aligned with your level of energy, your level of ability, um, when you are pushing yourself beyond your limits, all these business processes that we're going to talk about in, influence that. And so what you create in your business can either mitigate the burnout or it can elevate the burnout. And so we want to look at some of the places that are often missed as opportunities for you to address them, not only for the benefit of your client, but for the, your own benefit as a clinician and as a human being who deserves yeah. to have a life that they enjoy. I think one of the first things that we have to talk about right now is that for most of us and most of you, out there in the big bad podcast world, your life has gone through legitimate and significant mm. changes in the last year. And while many of us thought that like this would be a change for six weeks or a couple of months, it's very clear that some of these changes are going to be extended. Um, you know, maybe it's another year, maybe it's another two. I know we don't like to hear that, but these are not short-term changes. And a lot of us made decisions about what to charge, what insurances to take, how many clients to see well before you were homeschooling your children or managing an inner, you know, one office between four people in a, <laughs> in a house because everyone's working from home, whatever the logistics are for your particular life, you made decisions based on a whole different structure of what you needed and maybe even when you made those decisions initially you didn't you you weren't even fully tapped in to what was viable even then and then the situation changed and it became even more untenable 
and you're just saying like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I, I can do it. I can do it as everything around you is telling you you can't. I think there's also been a resistance to looking at the business for a lot of people because there's been this balance between hope and acceptance, hoping that the pandemic would end and acceptance of that it's not ending. And so people don't know where to be. And so they get frozen and they're not addressing some of the business stuff because they're waiting to see how things pan out. Meanwhile, emotionally, physically, they're being depleted because they aren't honoring the current circumstance and changes and allowing their business to pivot accordingly. Yeah. And so that's the very first thing. We need to look at how many clients can you really reasonably see right now, right now. In, in your current life? What does that really look like for you not to be nodding off in sessions, not be like completely distracted during sessions, for you to not, to be able to like eat meals, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, we have therapists that are like, oh no, I can totally do that. I'm like, okay, cool. When are you going to eat? When do you eat? <laughs> and they're like, oh, actually, so we did this thing, um, at, we integrated it into boot camp. Because we saw this disconnect of clients saying like, oh, here are all the things I need to do with my work week and then not leaving enough time for their life. So we actually have this calculator where they say, here are all the things, this is how many clients I'm going to see. These are the tasks that I have in my business and how long they take. And then here are the tasks in my life that I need. Maybe it's childcare, um, maybe it's some grocery shopping, body, grocery shopping <laughs> cleaning the house, whatever it is. And so we had, and when the clients would fill it out, it actually turns red when they ran out of hours in the week. Mm -hmm. And it was this consistent message, client uh, therapist saying, oh my gosh, I need two more days in the week for what I've been expecting myself to yes. do. I had such high expectations and I just hadn't ever done the math to see what I thought I should be doing. And I thought I was lazy. And I thought I was disorganized and I thought I was less than when it was none of those things. Again, going back to the whole, we're replicating oppressive systems in our business. You know, back from our agency days, our nonprofit days, where the workload is astronomical and not proportional <laughs> to the ability of the clinician and the time allowed. So, you know, you're expected, you don't have to do that in your practice. You have an opportunity to do it differently and not replicate this pattern. And for those of you who are thinking, well, I still wanna wait till after the pandemic. Look, your business is gonna face many ebbs and flows. Things in your life are gonna always be changing and you want to be able to do this pandemic or not. What if, you know, something, you have a child that changes when you can see clients or how many you can see, or you become a caregiver, or you know uh, you get divorced and you become a single person. And so your, your business should be able to pivot so that you're not burning out. It should be able to, to, to hammock you, like a little baby, cradle you. I asked a, a therapist this other day where they're like, no, I, I can't, like I just have to keep doing this, I, I know, but I should be, you know, I can do this for another year. And I said, if you had a family member who was feeling the way that you're feeling <laughs> and you had to like take time off to take care of them, would you change your schedule? They said, well, absolutely. <laughs> right. So if 
So that's that's a question I have for you. If you're saying, well, I can't change right now because we're in a pandemic, it wouldn't be fair to clients. If the change was necessitated by your kid or your partner or somebody else that's very important to you, would you do it? And follow-up question, if this change was necessitated by you being physically ill, would you change it? If you are having significant symptoms of burnout, there may be a point when these symptoms move into physiological symptoms. The only difference, if we could even call it a difference between major depressive disorder and burnout is the cause of it. True. <laughs> right? There's not a huge difference between those two, you know, what the experience is. We have um, a client, a boot camper, who shared her journey where she had her doctor threatening to take her off on medical leave. Mm -hmm. Her friends and coworkers saying, oh my God, like I'm worried about you because she was constantly, constantly sick. Mm -hmm. And because she was in this process and system where she was overworking and not doing what was right for her. And then she moved, she transitioned, she changed her scenario she changed her work and she moved into private practice and created something workable for her and she's not sick anymore mm -hmm. you know now that's not to say that if we make changes we'll all be immune to illness like that's not true but if you are someone that's having physiological symptoms and you're having difficulty it could be related to not getting enough sleep, cortisol levels being too high. <laughs> you we know, know. Like, like autoimmune conditions are on the rise. And this is where we need to pull back and, and start with what can we do and do well and feel good about it. Now, before you even go into, well, I can only do four clients and oh my gosh, I can't make a living that way. Don't suspend for a moment and get back to what is a schedule that is truly healthy for you and how many clients can you really see and do great work. And then you can move into the financial plan of that. Yeah. And if you're, and that's something we have a whole training on like how to mm -hmm. set fees. Um, and we go into like, well, what if, you know, what about I'm, I'm based on an insurance and what do I do about that? And dealing with the reimbursement rates and like how to be a hybrid practice or how to be an insurance-based practice and also still really respect right. what you can do clinically. Um, one of the, the stories that I sort of a love-hate, right, is the therapist from my area where he asked for a raise from the insurance company. He was seeing eight clients a day. They said no. He needed more money for his family so he moved from 50-minute sessions to 45-minute sessions, and he just packed two more clients in per day, and that's how he gave himself a raise. 45-minute sessions back-to-back -back so he could see five before lunch and five after. When do you go to the bathroom? When do you do your clinical notes? When do you just, like, take a pause? How do you really, like, process the like what to do in the next session when you're doing that. Like, is that really healthy for you or someone else? So let's look at the bigger picture and create changes and shifts that are really good for us and that are ultimately really good for the clients. You know, the last time we talked about this clinical outcome conversation, and that's also being aware of like what energizes you, who do you do great work with and who do you not? And maybe, you know, we've seen it before where people like, I, I used to love working with kids. 
I can't do kids anymore. Maybe physically it's hard for them to get on the floor and play, or maybe they just don't have the time to give to the parents and interacting that way. And they want to make a shift towards working with just the adults or just the teen, or, you know, it's, we have a lifetime ahead of us to create and evolve and pivot into who we love working with. But right now, look at what you have the energy for to do great work with. And maybe from those outcome conversations, you also get some information about that. I, I had, um, I had it was partially outcome conversation, but it was also getting really honest with myself. So uh, if you're burnout, you're probably noticing your clinical note-taking and your documentation is suffering, that's one of the first places to go, right? As we start to pull back or skip or push that off and procrastinate that. And I had a particular client that I was really great about my note-taking, but this particular client, I, I saw them in the evening, which wasn't my norm. I'd seen them for a long time. And this client was really depressed and I would get behind on the notes and then I got all caught up. <laughs> right. And it was like overnight, I was like, oh my gosh, like how am I 12 notes behind? And this is like very unlike me. And then I got all caught up. I told myself I wouldn't get behind like that again. And then I did it again. And suddenly I was six or eight weeks behind again. And I was like, this is a sign that this is not a good fit. The time isn't a good fit for me. And the client isn't a good fit for me. Like these are two pieces that I have to own that my clinical effectiveness, this is not the normal standard of care. Mm -hmm. Like this client was not getting the standard of care that I gave to all the rest of my clients. And, you know, and maybe some intersection again between working late at night, which is not my strong suit, and also like working with major depression. Mm -hmm. Again, not my strong suit. Mm -hmm. So I had to like own it and go, no, I need to make a shift, shift and a change mm -hmm. in that thing in terms of referring that person out in terms of not taking clients. Mm -hmm. So if we go even to that first piece, right? So number one, let's figure out how many clients and what you need to charge. Check out that how to set fees. When we'll to put see in. Them. Yeah. And when to see them. What mm -hmm. does your what does your ideal schedule really look like? Um, can you like I could see someone at seven in the morning, no problem, right? I had I clients think... at six AM I don't think I could do the clinical schedule I used to do because so no, much has changed in my life. But when I was younger, it was, <laughs> I could, I love to stack my days. Like I love that. Like if I, I'm a, I like batching. So if I could do all my clinical work on two days or three days a week and then everything else on the other days, I really love that. Now, as much as I still love batching, um, my brain is no good after like four o'clock. You know, mm -hmm. so, and I before would do evenings and I love that. And now again, adjusting for where you're at and your needs. So looking at that scaffolding and those boundaries, that way when someone calls, which is also part of your business process of how you handle, you know, deciding if someone, if you want to work with someone, they're deciding too, but that, yeah. that initial consult is a super critical part there for mitigating your burnout and holding to those boundaries of, of that you're creating now that you've evaluated. I would even say in terms of that scheduling, 
you can change your client's schedule that are already on your caseload. Oh, I know. So it's revolutionary. Even, <laughs> even before you get on the phone and start putting people into the, these other spots, no. figure out the schedule yes. and start to move people in there. And again, people say, well, I can't change it because they can only do on this day. I told them, I told them that, that it would be this. <laughs> I, I already forever. committed. I committed to Fridays at 6 p.m. Did you get married? Even marriages <laughs> aren't that Like no. you can still in those. So no, <laughs> no. So you can have the if your kid needed you at that time, or your family member needed you at that time. Would you make a change? Yes, I'd make a change. Why is our needs not enough? Yeah. So go and make an adjustment, and then get really clear. And if you have a haphazard schedule, I'm going to challenge you. Ninety-eight percent of the time, two percent of the time, two percent of you. You like the haphazard, it works for your clients, you know how to manage it, it's great. But 98% of you therapists, you need your clients coming at your Tuesday at two, <laughs> here it is, and if you have clients that are coming every other week, I have two Thursdays at four and they switch off between each other and they know that like this is the scenario and that if they miss something, it's gonna mess up the whole shebang, right? Get your clients on a regular schedule so you actually know how many openings you have. Because the amount of therapists that end up with these caseloads where they say, well, I am only seeing 20 clients or 20 sessions per week, but I have 42 people open on my mm -hmm. caseload. Mm -hmm. Ooh, is like, so that means each of those people is coming to see you one and a half times a month. Are you getting great clinical outcomes? No. Well, before you go out and keep trying to market and bring and accept new people, make sure you are properly servicing the people that are coming in. And if you, again, if people are like, can I come in again or what, and they could really use that and you don't have space for them, are you really doing, you know, your highest and best or do you need to start making some adjustments? In your schedule so working with what you've already created and making shifts there so that anything new comes in can fit seamlessly is important and it's been interesting we've had several people too that have gone through the outcomes conversation found that they needed to set clearer boundaries about how therapy worked and about the the timeline and they found oh suddenly when i'm clear about letting people know how therapy works because clients don't know they don't know how therapy works. They don't know how to get great outcomes. They are looking to you to create a treatment plan. Yes, it can be collaborative, but if you say yes to something that isn't gonna get them the outcome they need and you're taking their money, are you really, like, are you gonna feel good I about mean, that? I don't even know, and I'm a therapist. So when I think about all the times I've been to therapy and the different therapists I've seen, they all do something different. And unless it's really great informed consent and it's really clear in their processes, I'm kind of like, I know the things that should be covered, but they're not. So I'm kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. So me as a therapist is already kind of like, hmm, who knows? So I imagine that someone who's never been to therapy before and only knows what the media says about it is even more like, yeah. they don't know. <laughs> so set that intention, set that clarity and again, if you have 40 people open on your caseload and you have 20 slots, you probably have, and you're still out there marketing because you feel like you don't have enough, it's probably not that. It's probably that you're not really engaging people in therapy. And you're probably saying, well, 
the reason I have to have so many clients is because people no show and they reschedule and they're not really committed to therapy. That's a sign that you haven't clarified what the boundaries are um, in therapy. So there's some of that that you are creating. So let's, and when we do this with our boot campers, we give them a whole script of what to say on the phone. And it's not like people sometimes are like, oh, that's just because, you know, so it's a sales script. It's not a sales script. Yes, it does convert and more people were scheduled with you, but it is a clinical conversation mm -hmm. where you identify real informed consent. What does somebody really need to know? And what does this process really look like? And what do they need to plan for? I have a client who does work with high conflict divorce and has like a 12-step process that they take um, couples through when they're working on co-parenting. And they found, they did the whole like looking at their outcomes study and they realized that if by the fourth or fifth session, that's when people would want to like stop treatment. Uh, but she knew that if she could get them to session seven, that they would finish out and have a positive outcome. So what we did is we updated the script to talk about, here's the process. And by session four or five, you're going to want to quit. And that's going to be common. And I'm going to encourage you because when I know that my couples that stay till seven, they finish out and they have a better experience as co-parents in their family. So to be able to speak to that from the get-go is so important so that they can start preparing for it and that it can be an honest conversation in the clinical work of saying, hey, we're coming up on that session when people are starting to feel a little antsy. How are you feeling about it? So that it's more out in the open and we get people to the finish line of where they need to be instead of just saying, well, it's a hard, it's hard. You know, I work with high conflict couples. They just drop out. No, what can we do to set them up for better success yeah. and for us to feel better about it? Because no one feels good. You don't feel good when clients don't um, get great outcomes. Yeah. It's just oh, such a juicy conversation. Um, so we hope that you will come. We're going to talk about this again in more detail. We can only do so much in a 20-minute podcast. We went <laughs> a little bit over today. Come and join us for the masterclass. Um, in the show notes, we'll also have a link to that How to Set Fees training that also is a 1CE so like we got CEs coming left and right. <laughs> uh, the, the trainings are free. We have some, um, some uh, coupons for the CEs and op those are optional depending on what your needs are. But come and check them out. You can go to zinnyme.com forward slash free. That's Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E.com forward slash free. Um, or check out the show notes and... Uh, Join us for the masterclass. It's yeah. going to be awesome. We're going to have giveaways live, giving away $100 for people that do their homework. Yeah, and we'll be talking more about these business processes and outcomes and how it impacts the marketing. So we'll see you there. Join us.